And what is the golden path, you ask? It is the survival of this podcast, nothing more nor less. We who produce podcasts, we who know the pitfalls in our audio recordings, this has always been our responsibility. Survival. How you feel about this, your petty woes and joys, even your one-star reviews and angry emails, seldom concerns us. Damn straight. Although, please stop. Please, <laughs> please just only yeah, five stars. Five stars only, please. <laughs> kind emails. <laughs> Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. I'm Leo. And my name's Abu. Oh, and today on the show, <laughs> we are setting this ship a sail. Oh, man. On the bizarre and fucking wild seas of God Emperor yeah. Dune. My God Emperor. <laughs> My God this book. Emperor, indeed. <laughs> this book. Yes, here we are. The very first episode of our next book club series covering God Emperor of Dune, folks. Very exciting. <laughs> so exciting. Very. Oh, there are some memes and some jokes that we will get to introduce mm. you to in these pages yeah we've been waiting years <laughs> to make some of these jokes i'm still i'm so eager okay but before <laughs> we get too far into it let's make shout out mapes proud and handle our housekeeping and as usual this begins with our spoiler warning if you've heard our book club series before you know the spiel no spoilers beyond what we've talked about so far this is the fourth book in frank's series so we're going to talk everything books one through three, nothing beyond the mm -hmm. pages we've covered in the book club so far. That's right. Now, another reminder that the best way to support this podcast is to become a patron over at patreon.com slash You'll get cool benefits like ad-free episodes, weekly bloopers and bonus clips, an invite to our exclusive Discord Indeed. server where you can chat with us. And of course, you will get these book club episodes months in advance of the public feed. You'll get them as soon as they release. Indeed. Of course, a huge shout out to our Kwisatz Haderach level patrons, Case Aiken, Matthew Good, Gents, 3,500 years of your patronage is not enough. <laughs> We're going to need more. <laughs> we need you to be generous <laughs> for longer. All right. <laughs> no, but thank you guys so much. And thank you to all of our patrons. You make what we do possible. Absolutely. Okay, that takes care of housekeeping. Let's talk about today's episode. The game plan is that we'll begin by summarizing today's reading. Today we'll be covering the prologue, chapters one, two, and three. And then we'll dive into a couple of takeaways. And finally, we will wrap up with some yummy, <gasps> delicious, mm. nutritious, fat-free, high in vitamin D, <laughs> Good, good spice morsels yeah <laughs> they're balanced macros for those of you with uh fitness goals yeah oh totally great for meal planning yeah <laughs> all righty now that we got the gym bros on board leo let's take a quick break 
But don't go anywhere, folks. Get a couple of reps in. <laughs> we'll be back to talk about God Emperor of Dune right after this. Welcome back, everybody. We hope you enjoyed your break. We hope you got some reps in. I think it's about time. Sweat on your brow to jump into the prologue of God Emperor of Dune. So, like all great stories, God Emperor of Dune begins with a press conference. <laughs> You're like, I'm excited for this space sci-fi adventure. And they're like, cool, cool, right. cool. We've got an open house. Come on by. Hilarious. <laughs> Someone named Hadi Benotto. Great name. Mm -hmm. Hadi? Hadi. How does the audiobook say it? Audiobook says Hadi. Hadi. He's a, mm -hmm. he's a Hadi. Okay, Hadi <laughs> Benotto is making a major announcement. It's a big press mm. release presenting us with so many more questions than answers. My God. This little prologue is such a tease, basically. And it's not exactly action-packed. So let's reflect for a moment on what we can gather from this first chapter. For sure. So Mr. B here <laughs> is delivering the announcement right. and basically saying, hey, we discovered a storehouse on Arrakis that contains, among other things, Leto II's original journals. Mm. We found the man's diary. <laughs> yeah. Now, the confusing part of this prologue, which we'll talk about in the takeaways a bit more later, is when it actually takes place. Right. Because he is talking about Leto II in the past tense, and he keeps referring to ancient technology and things in the past that haven't happened yet. Right. And Mr. Benotto tells us that these newly found journals that have been discovered in this Arrakis horde are only translatable because of the previously well-known stolen journals. Yeah. Which act as sort of a cipher or a key to help them translate the rest of these books. Yeah. Does Frank know that you can just start a book normally? <laughs> Did no one tell him in his career as an author, like you can start a book with people doing things. And he's like, right. nah, <laughs> we're good. Yeah. In, in fact, Frank, here are some words. Once upon a time. Once upon a time. And he's like, you know, press conference? Very easy start. We're all comfortable with that Paper one. handouts. Paper handouts at a press conference. <laughs> Thousands of When does of it years. take place? Don't talk to me. Did I give you permission to speak? <laughs> <laughs> so true. I love these wacky intros. I mean, this is very Bronzo of Ix, right? Yeah. yeah That's yeah, exactly yeah. how huh. Dean Messiah started as well, where you're like, what the fuck is happening? And what are they talking about? And when is this taking place? Love it. A classic Frank opener. <laughs> totally. Now, after some kind of fun world building, we get to the blood-curdling adrenaline rush that is this well-known poet reading an excerpt. Mm. The poet is named Rebeth Vreeb. And Rebeth Vreeb is reading this excerpt of Leto's words from the journal. And right. but it's fine. Seems good. Leto's kind of describing the experience of being preborn and describing other memory and going back through like the literally like millions and millions and millions of lives that he has access to and says in no uncertain terms like every human experience is his to own from like giving birth like literally giving birth to raising children fighting killing dying in a million different ways he has yeah. all of those experiences they're all his to like tap into and be aware of but he concludes his little excerpt, and I thought I thought that this was like very kind of beautifully Leto. Quote, 
It's the past. Don't you understand? It's only the past. End quote. Wow. Yeah. So from there, we jump right into chapter one. Right. And this is a bit more of a grounded chapter. If that press conference didn't really get your blood pumping, <laughs> this chapter certainly will. Yeah. We meet in chapter one, Siona, Ulat, and Quoteg, who at the moment are doing their best to run like hell <laughs> yeah. away from Leto to Citadel as they are chased by a pack of D-wolves, <laughs> which is a new creature we're introduced to in this book. They are described as these keen-eyed, intelligent, and absolutely swole, massive <laughs> yeah. wolves. It's terrifying. <laughs> now, what we're told is apparently the crew has pulled off like a dope Ocean Eleven style heist, completely off page. <laughs> and we are just now catching the last 10 minutes of it, basically, right. as they are running for the safety of the Idaho River, which borders Leto's land. Through Siona's thoughts, we learn that the heist started off with 11 people, literally Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> yeah. And now we're down to these three. The others have all sacrificed themselves in the process of obtaining these stolen journals and the blueprints to Leto Citadel. Yeah. George Clooney, dead. Matt Damon, dead. dead. They died a Killed. while ago. We're left with the other famous actors we all know and love. <laughs> Ulad, Kuteg, and Siona. <laughs> and Siona. <laughs> so true. So true. Now, Back to the kind of action here. They're running toward the river. Siona's friends get picked off. <laughs> they die. Uh, R.I.P. Speaking of like changing gears, we've met five characters so far. There was yeah. Hottie, there was the poet, there's Siona, Ulat, and Quuteg. <laughs> and now 40% of the characters we met are dead. So welcome to God Emperor of Dune, I guess. <laughs> I do want to take a moment to... Shout out Quuteg, though. Yeah. Because, oh my gosh. first of all, he outran presumably all their friends with a knee injury. And then in his final moments, is like, oh, I'm not going to get away from these wolves. I guess I'll fucking fight them. Put your dukes <laughs> up, wolves. And then does quite well. <laughs> Jesus. He yeah. catches one that leaps at him and uses it as a flail. <laughs> like, I was trying to picture this, and it's straight out of like an over-the-top anime, and I was so here yeah. for it. It's so much fun. So funny. And again, he does it to buy Siona time. Like, this is just a sacrifice move on his part. Right. He's not trying to survive. He knows he's going down. It's too late. And he's like, <laughs> Siona's got the blueprints. She's got the journals. Yeah. She's got to make it to the river and survive. I guess I'll fight these wolves now. <laughs> he bites a wolf in the throat. <laughs> With his human mouth. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing. fucking awesome. Just, let, let's just res put respect on Quoteg's name. Quoteg's already you know. my favorite character in any book I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he doesn't die. Oh, shit. He dies. Okay. Right, right. But at least what he did succeeded. He bought Siona enough time. She makes it to the Idaho River safely. And she swims across it. And once she is on the other side, she kind of surfaces and clambers onto shore she looks back all of the wolves are there <laughs> just like i got a little spooked i was like oh that's fucking terrifying are you kidding me yeah you're like yeah how close was i to death and then you like climb out of the river look back and they're all just on the shore looking at you but she knows from intel gathered that they are kind of conditioned not to go beyond the river 
So right. she's like, right. okay, I'm safe. I'm good. She quietly curses Leto for the loss of her 10 dear friends. And as she kind of curses Leto, we do get a little bit more information about her identity. And this was sort of a fun little twist at the end of the chapter. Quote, Siona ibn Fuad al-Saifa Atreides, it is who curses you, Leto. You will pay in full. End quote. Wow. <laughs> what a bombshell moment. I viscerally remember reading that sentence for the first time. Hell yeah. And just being like, oh shit, here we go. Oh shit, here we you go. You know? Yeah. <laughs> We're back at it. We got another, we got a new Atreides. No wonder she got yeah. away. No one, she got that Atreidean plot armor. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. It was a great twist. And obviously this tells us a couple things about Siona. One, she hates Leto. Yep. She really hates Leto. Yep. Two, she's part of some sort of rebel group that is working against Leto. And three, she's an Atreides. Mm -hmm. So obviously that raises a lot of questions. How is she an Atreides? Is she related to Leto? What's going on here? Why does she hate him so much? All things that this book will explore. Yeah. Now, as a quick final note, before we jump into our next chapter, we did want to highlight a theme. So as normal, the chapter starts with an excerpt from Leto's stolen journals. And it's really beautiful the way that this little excerpt engages with the content of the chapter. So we wanted to take a second and highlight this. The excerpt reads, among other things, quote, when my eyes had learned to focus, I looked out at sunshine on trampled grass and I saw vigorous people going about the sweet activities of their lives. Where, oh, where has all of that vigor gone? End quote. And of course we get the literal parallel of trampled grass as Siona, Kuteg, and Ulat trampled grass running away from the wolves. That's kind of yeah. on the nose. But the vigor, it is literally the most vigorous of them that survived. Siona and Kuteg had the best chance of it because they were the most vigorous right and in the following chapter we're going to see that leto comments that he would have let siona die right like just to be clear mm -hmm. so it's the most vigorous who survived but their survival is not guaranteed leto would have let her die in that way his journal and the events of this kind of evening combined to be kind of like almost like a sardonic reiteration of the idea that stagnation is death right back when we all lived in yurts and when we had sunshine and trampled grass, there was adversity. Life was not necessarily easy. And you can paint it with this sort of optimistic brush, but realistically people were strengthened and the vigor was brought out by having adversity, by having a simpler, more kind of primal life. And yeah. modernity, new comforts, new technology makes you weaker and can distance you from that. So fascinating to see this kind of, crossroads between the idea of his journal entry and then obviously the events of this nighttime jog yeah yeah it's just a reminder of a lot of big dune themes yeah. that we've explored in books one through three and it's a continuation of those themes it's a continuation of leto's golden path as we'll talk about later too right now we jump from this scene to a couple of pages of Hadi Benotto's translations right. of Leto II's journals. And we're going to put a pin in this discussion because these couple of pages are so <laughs> dense yeah. and there's so much to decipher here right. 
that it's going to become its own takeaway later. So hold your thoughts on that. We will revisit this later in the discussion. Sure thing. After that late to a journal excerpt, though, the chapter jumps once again to another interesting section that's titled The Wellbeck Fragment. And this transcript of a conversation drops a couple of names on us. In short, it's basically a conversation between Siona Atreides, who is being visited by Moneo Atreides, her father and chief aide to Leto II. Character number six. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully he survives. Hopefully he survives. He is visiting her at her quarters at the Fish Speakers School, whatever that is, in the festival city of On, whatever that is. (laughs) It's a bunch of shit. (laughs) (laughs) And he's there to warn her that her actions have been dangerous. She's putting herself in danger. He's a concerned father. Right. The dialogue itself doesn't tell us too much outright, but it does refer to a couple of things that help set the stage for the rest of this book. So it's worth calling these out. First of all, we learned that Moneo has been serving Leto for a while now. We also learned that Leto reportedly kills people, including <laughs> nine Duncan Idahos. What a, the fucking gall of Frank <laughs> to casually mention nine Duncan Idahos have died. We'll get back to that. <laughs> yeah, put a pin in that as well. And then this last point, which is very important, Moneo refutes this point because Siona's like, he kills people. How do you serve him? And he's like, no, no, no. Leto doesn't kill people. <laughs> there is a duality within the god emperor. Right. There's Leto, who I serve. And then there is Shai Halud, aka the worm, aka god, right. who sometimes takes over. And it's when Shai Halud approaches that people may or may not die. Leto himself, never responsible for those deaths. Yeah. Hilariously, Moneo admits he's got a 10 out of 10 unimpeachable survival strategy to avoid said <laughs> shy haludes yeah. in these dangerous situations where people die. And uh, it's called walking away. <laughs> it's called getting the fuck out of the room. Yeah. He, he just leaves the room when he notices the signs that the worm is there and that Leto is losing control. You got to wonder, does he tell people or is he just like, I got to... Oh, I got to take a call. Oh, I got to. Oh, mm. uh, mm, uh, something. I'm going to get. He's got one of those introvert tricks on his phone where like you make the background look like someone's calling you and you're like, oh, I got to take this. I got this really important. (laughs) They're like, that's just your wallpaper. It's really important. I'll be right back. (laughs) He comes back in. Yeah, we got to clean up these bodies. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. And something we'll learn more about later in this book as well. The duality of the God Emperor. Well, in our next chapter, we join the god, Hello. the emperor, our wormy boy, Leto. Leto to Atreides. Wow. Indeed. He is awaiting Duncan Idaho. Oh, my God. <laughs> if nine wasn't enough, you know, you just keep going back. <laughs> Leto 2 runs on Duncan. So he is in the catacombs underneath the citadel. And as he waits... We get this kind of poignant thought regarding Leto's death that he refuses to examine with prescience. Quote, if I die away from water, there will be no more spice, not ever. End quote. That seems important. <laughs> it does seem important. It seems like kind of a weird thing to just have as an aside, but it's there. We wanted to highlight it. And nevertheless, this meeting with Duncan is happening because <laughs> Leto seems like he ordered a new Duncan. 
Uh, he was oh. like, hey, Tlay Laksu, uh, can you ship me a new Duncan Idaho, please? And <laughs> this Duncan Idaho, who's about to meet him, is like, what the fuck, dude? Mm -hmm. A little stressed about it. He's not happy. He's not happy with the news that his literal replacement is on its way. Stressed enough and upset enough that he is bringing a Lay's gun to this interview. Amazing. <laughs> Wonder what he's going to do. He's packing heat, folks. I love he it. He's packing heat. So in this chapter, we actually learn a number of things. A lot of this chapter takes place inside Leto's head. Right. And we learn a lot about the current state of the Imperium and Leto to himself. For starters, it's clear that Leto has a stranglehold on spice. And Leto is using this hoard of spice and his complete control of it to keep the various economic and political forces of the Empire in check. So anybody out there who would need spice, which is basically everyone, the Guild, the Bene Gesserit, the other great houses, everyone, he is able to keep them in line and keep them in check by having complete control of spice. We also get a physical description of Leto in this chapter. <laughs> yeah. We're told that he has a human face, he has human arms and human hands. Or human-like. Human-like, right. Yeah. I'm sure they're sort of proportionally weird. Yeah, they're described as being really long. Like, identifiably human, but like long and strange. <laughs> right, totally. He also has these useless flippers, which he tells us were once his legs and feet, but now they're just kind of useless appendages on his body. All of which is encased in this grotesque, enormous body of a worm. <laughs> Yeah. So picture that, folks. Paint yourselves a little picture of this giant worm, man. Looks great. <laughs> <laughs> I think that really is the pinnacle of male physicality. Yeah. Yeah. The peak male physical form. I, too, yearn to be seven meters long <laughs> and three old tons or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Now, in addition to just the physical grotesque transformation that has taken place, He's also changed emotionally. He's also changed internally, which is something we knew was going to happen in Children of Dune. Right. Quote, he held onto the remnants of his once human self with a grimness which could not be denied, although irritation was the closest he could come to anger. End quote. So yeah. there again, the reinforcement of the idea that we learned about all the way back in Children of Dune the fact that part of this transformation is not just him changing physically, it's him also losing his humanity. Yeah, he had some like asides back in Children where he was like, the physical transformation is going to be what people focus on, but it's it had like pales in comparison to what else is going to happen to me, which right. is pretty tough. But nevertheless, Idaho arrives. Duncan hey. himself, looking good, arrives to confront the God Emperor and the standoff is tense. Mm -hmm. He's like, what the fuck, bro? And Leto is <laughs> distracted and kind of daydreaming the whole time. Yeah. Now, they debrief about Siona's recent activities. He's like, you know, Siona stole shit from you? And Leto's like, yeah. Why are you being weird about this? <laughs> <laughs> but Duncan brings up something that actually does pique Leto's interest, which is a cult of Alia on Giddy Prime. Hey, I know those words. Those, those are some familiar made up words. <laughs> and most of this, Leto is just utterly bored. He's like, Jesus, Lord, this guy just doesn't stop talking. 
and his mind is wandering as Idaho is like reading off these reports. Basically, Leto mentions, it seems as though Duncan has decided he's going to try to kill Leto, but wants to justify it for himself. So he's like, right. here are reasons that I think that you're fucking up. Give me justification for killing you. Yeah. And we also get the sense throughout this that Leto's been in this, like very Groundhog Day. He's had this conversation with Duncan Idaho's in the past. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, yeah, whoa, I didn't expect this, you know. This oh, is, another cult. Oh, wow, no. cult. God, yeah. I had no idea. You are so smart. Yeah. There's a real pervasive sense in this chapter that Leto is like really, really bored. <laughs> yeah. Which makes sense. He's been doing this now for thousands of years. How many countless nameless cults must his armies have crushed by now, you know? Like, what's another one going to do to him? <laughs> yeah. And I love that aspect of it because you, yeah. you think like, oh, living forever, how cool, being the emperor, how cool. <laughs> but like, no, man, this dude is just so bored. Mundaneity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like, as you learn about history, the last hundred years of world politics, you start seeing repetition. You start seeing rhythms. So you're right. 3,000 years of like, <laughs> of Leto's piece. <laughs> yeah. Mind-numbingly boring. Yeah. But this new cult actually does pique his interest a little bit. He's like, oh, "Oh, wait, whoa, what's that? And it's because the Bene Gesserit are behind it and using it as a cover to try and find the ancient Harkonnen spice hordes on Giddy Prime. Ooh, fun. A fun twist. A fun twist. Our boy likes a surprise every now and then, and this is a surprise. There's also a kind of a pitiable moment almost of Duncan going, why would the Bene Gesserit be involved or whatever? And Leto's like, he'll get to it. <laughs> he'll figure it out. And then when right. he finally tells him, <laughs> Duncan's like, oh shit, that's so fucking obvious. Oh, I'm terrible. Yeah. Which I'm like, aren't you here on an assassination attempt? <laughs> like, why are you doubting your capacity as like captain of the guard? Yeah. But yeah, kind of an interesting moment. So an actual surprise, an actual thing that Leto wasn't expecting. Totally. Now, as the conversation continues, there's more reports to be read, blah, 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 blah. Duncan does his thing. Leto finds himself bored once again, and his mind begins to wander once again. I found this so funny. (laughs) Every time this happened, I giggled because I was like, he's just me in high school, (laughs) just like constantly daydreaming. So Leto observes. We get a couple of really interesting internal thoughts here. Leto observes, first of all, that Idaho is being cautious, and we learn a key detail about his use of prescience. Quote, I have told him enough times that I will not use my prescience to predict the moment of my exit from this ancient form, but he doubts. End quote. Yeah, which makes sense. That's big. He's not going to look into the future to figure out how, if, and when he will die. Right leaving that final surprise, perhaps the ultimate of surprises, up to chance. Yeah, there's a quote from the Hadi excerpt chapter, which we'll get to, that kind of addresses that a little bit. But I also like this as a character writing moment, because Duncan Idaho is a tactician. He's brilliant. He's a sword master, right? Him being like, if you could predict the moment of your death, why wouldn't you? I don't don't believe that. Are you kidding? You're not going to look at that? Yeah. And we see 
even 3,500 years later, people still don't fucking understand prescience, even remotely. <laughs> like, totally. we learn as the reader in Messiah why it's probably a bad idea to, like, look too closely at the future. And here we are 3,500 years later, and Duncan's like, <laughs> yeah, but, like, surely you look at the future a lot, right? Right, and right. I was like, no. <laughs> you know the lotto numbers for tomorrow, just, right? Like, fucking God, that's not how it works. <laughs> right he's like i created the fucking lotto numbers you moron i made the lottery yeah, exactly <laughs> so true that's a great point people still don't understand prescience and we see once again how delicately leto is using it now another internal thought we get is a bit of political musing from leto and i like to think slash frank himself yeah like frank really <laughs> uses leto's thoughts as a platform to like <laughs> Get some views out there on like politics, religion, government, et cetera, <laughs> et cetera. about the, the 80s. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This book will actually contain a lot of that. We will be saying Leto's internal thoughts like a million times over the course of this That's book true. club because there's a lot of just Leto thinking about things and musing about things, which is Frank's way of musing about right. them. In this moment, he thinks, quote, all rebellions are ordinary and an ultimate bore. They are copied out of the same pattern, one much like the other. The driving force is adrenaline addiction and the desire to gain personal power. All rebels are closet aristocrats, end quote. This is one of the many moments in this book where I'm like, I think that's reasonable. That's so yeah. dense. What a dense set that's of sentences. So <laughs> right. And again, Leto just daydreaming about this right now. He's yeah. bored. I imagine also readers are like, I just read about people being torn apart by wolves. Is this going to be a lot of this in this book? This guy has a gun <laughs> right now. And we're getting this this sentence. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're getting deeply political already. It actually continues. His thought process then continues along the same line. And Leto recalls how the Duncans... <laughs> <laughs> always want to crush rebellions, yeah. right? They're very militaristic, very police-minded in that right. way. And he always has to explain to them over and over and over that that's not the right way to handle a rebellion. Right. Quote, radicals are only to be feared when you try to suppress them. You must demonstrate that you will use the best of what they offer. End quote. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, like, this is such an interesting take on the tension between governments and rebellions, two things that almost feel like constants in human history, yeah. right? Whenever there's someone in power, there'll be someone else trying to take them down. And it's clear that Leto himself is drawing on many of those countless experiences in human history when he comes to this conclusion, where he basically states, the way you think, Duncan, we should handle this rebellion, the way we should handle Siona, whatever, et cetera, this cult, is not the way to do it. Using force and power against a rebellion will only make them more dangerous. You have to disarm them by showing them that you'll actually utilize what they bring to the table. Yeah, it's so fascinating because Leto is and will be called tyrant all the time. Yes. And he is in some ways. But this is like explicitly anti-tyranny. This is explicitly yeah. when there are people who disagree with you and there is that sort of like dissonance that dissonance can be utilized and is helpful and rather than be the like literal autocrat that crushes every like that was kind of like what muadib did 
in Messiah, right? Between Dune and Dune Messiah. Yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. And we saw how well that worked. 61 billion dead. Right. I mean, how many religions did he wipe out because they weren't Hundreds. his religion? Yeah. Like At Versus yeah. Leto's like, oh, cool, another cult. Nice. All right. No, I don't have to do anything. Right. About it. What do you mean do something about it? <laughs> you sound crazy right now. What are you talking about? It's kind of, it's, it's fascinating because this also yeah. continues to add fuel to the public perception and how things are defined, even for us as readers, are not always as simple as they appear. Leto the tyrant totally. is not exactly a tyrant. And his tyranny, if you want to call it that, is kind of a unique form in a way that is just engaging and fun and cool. Totally. And of course, there's like the meta level of all of this, right? Where Frank is basically saying this about modern day governments yeah, and modern right. day rebellions. And he's critiquing, I'm sure, autocratic governments in actual real life human history who stamp out rebellions or stamp out uprisings with too much force. Yeah. The last thing I'll say on this rebel point I found it super funny that as he's thinking this, the rebels and the autocrats within Leto's mind are getting mad at him. You know, they're like causing no background noise oh, yeah. to happen. <laughs> yeah, the other memories. Yeah, the other memories. They're like, they're like, no, they're like no, wait, no, wait, no, what, what are you talking you about? <laughs> and hilariously, Leto's clapback is so funny. He's like, well, you failed. <laughs> you all failed. And I'm here. And I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> so that point kind of makes itself, buddy. Shut up. You know, like the way he shuts them up is just such a good clap back. The internal rebels and autocrats from human history in yeah. his mind. <laughs> it's so, so good. funny. Yeah. All of his other <laughs> memories really shutting them down with like, okay, wait. Yeah. Walk me through it. How did that end? Yeah. Oh, you died. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I was just checking. I don't know. I remember you dying. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure you also remember you dying. Oh, we're on the same page. Yeah, you're a failure. Shut the fuck up. So funny. Back to this guy. Yeah. He's got a gun. Yeah, oh my God. This next moment is so funny. Absolutely incredible. Okay, so Leto is like thinking all these things. And then he notices that Duncan drew the gun. And oh, there are like, what the fuck? <laughs> ah! And multiple times he's like, is he going for the gun? Should I be, you know, should I be? Right. And then he doesn't even notice when it happens. He's like totally yeah. wool gathering, as they say. He's like daydreaming. Fucking hilarious. Hilarious. Such a moment of like, oh, oh shit. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> well, okay. So yeah, Duncan pulls the gun on him. And Leto uses... <laughs> just... It's funny because for as prepared as he was for this to happen, it does feel like kind of a cheap trick. Like this is the equivalent of pocket sand. He like... <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> he uses the voice of Muad'Dib, which he notes to himself, oh, this always fucking freaks out Duncan Idaho. Yep. So he yep. uses the voice of Paul, and in that moment of hesitation, worm tackle. <laughs> he just... Love it. His whole big old body, his three, four-ton body, flops off the royal cart, the floating Ixian royal cart, and crushes Duncan's <laughs> bones to smithereens. Doesn't kill him immediately. He's laying there with a crushed chest. And it's just fucking wild. Now, Duncan does manage to get a shot off. He does manage to pull the trigger. Right. And actually, one of Leto's little flippers, one of his little leg flippers, gets shot. And he's like, oh, that fucking hurts. Wow. That sucks. And yeah. he does also mention that it takes the tip of the flipper off. 
but then the wound is healed almost immediately. Like, still hurts. Like, it still aches. But he got hurt and then heals. It's like even the shit that hurts him is only a temporary inconvenience. Right. And he's a little shaken. He's a little like, wow, that was... That was that was a little close. And he thinks to himself, actually, it is obvious, like, when you're looking at this human face on this, like, seven-meter-long worm body, you would think, oh, yeah, the brain, the, like, most vital piece of this creature is probably in the head, right? Right, right. Aim for the head. Aim for the head. Fucking wrong. Brain's no longer there. Mm-hmm. You're an idiot mm-hmm. for thinking the God Emperor didn't push his brain around. <laughs> and he mentions that, like, wait, this Duncan with that laser gun shot hit a lot closer to where my brain kind of is. Yeah. Many people would aim for my head. He didn't. That's interesting. He was aiming for where my brain actually is. Huh. Should I worry about that? Is kind of what he's thinking about. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, my pet theory on this. Sure. Is that this Duncan did his homework. Like once this Duncan realized, oh, I'm about to be replaced. I should kill the God Emperor. He was like, okay, let me do some research. Maybe he even reached out to Siona and got a copy of those stolen journals and learned something from it. And yeah, you could say maybe dumb blind luck. He's just like aiming for center mass and got near the brain. I don't think so. I want to give Duncan more credit here. My headcanon is that my guy contacted Siona because he whispers Siona. Those are his final words. He's like, Siona. I think my guy contacted Siona, read the stolen journals, and knew where to aim and just couldn't uh, finish the job. Yeah, that Paul voice always throwing him off. (laughs) Well, this takes us to our final chapter, right? Yes. So in our final chapter today, we meet a new character, Nayla, as she is writing a secret message to Leto 2 on a computer. And we learn that Nayla is a fanatical worshiper of the God Emperor. And she has been embedded with Siona, with these rebels, as an undercover agent. And she has been sworn to secrecy by her god, an oath she will not break. I also, I like the little moment where she's like, you might have perked up at the mention of a computer. Yeah. She's typing on a keyboard into a terminal. Yeah. And she has an aside where she's like, is this breaking the great convention? Banned technology. Is this this banned technology? He told me it's fine. He's God, so probably it's fine. <laughs> so, right. And the answer is, for sure, this is banned technology, you know? Guaranteed. Like, yeah. the Valerians would not be happy about this shit. Nope. <laughs> and it's also clear that Leto loves to fudge the rules a little bit when it comes to himself. Also, side note, Nayla, body goals. Are you kidding me? Oh, this she's stacked. Stacked. She's a <laughs> tall glass of water, muscle mommy, confirmed confirmed Nayla dope I like yeah. Nayla Nayla's cool plus you know she's loyal she's loyal <laughs> kind of lucky <laughs> <laughs> so after mommy Nayla sends the encrypted message <laughs> she goes to meet Siona and Topri in the other room as they're discussing a recent discovery from the stolen journals and there's a moment of tension here where Nayla panics because she thinks she's been caught Right. When Siona and Topri start talking about trust, how can we trust each other? And it seems, to me at least, that this rebel group 
is sort of held together through a hodgepodge of fragile alliances, right? Totally. Maybe yeah. folks aren't completely aligned. Maybe there's some people that are just here because it's convenient for the moment. It doesn't seem like this is a strong rebel group, at least not yet, that is all like focused on a single mission. Right. Definitely various groups coming together. Very Andor style for the folks who watched Andor. A lot mm -hmm. of competing groups that are just conveniently coming together to take down a larger threat. But Siona does say in this moment that she trusts Nayla completely because, quote, your words and your actions always agree. It's a marvelous quality, end quote. Hell yeah. That's why I hated living in California. <laughs> because I feel like every fucking person, words and actions, completely unaligned. In yeah. New York, yeah, people are pretty, pretty aligned. They'll be like, I totally. fucking hate you, asshole. And you're like, yeah, I believe that. Thank you for the honesty, sir. I appreciate it. It's a marvelous quality. <laughs> yeah. I was running errands yesterday in downtown Brooklyn, and a guy was balancing a tire on his head, riding around on a bike in the middle of the street, honking like a duck. Yeah. That's honesty, folks. That's You can't fake that. I've tried. His words and his actions agreed, and it was a marvelous quality. I was walking. I was in financial district. There was a guy with a trombone just walking in the bike lane playing notes, <laughs> and I was like, you're a one-man parade. You are a marvelous quality, sir. Wow. We're all in an abusive relationship with New York. I'm just taking it. Everyone's trapped. Yeah. All right. Moving on from New York. As this conversation continues, there's also sort of a comical moment of misunderstanding where Nayla reveals that she has sworn to God to obey Siona. So even when she disagrees with something that Siona wants to do, she does it because she's made this oath. And Siona seemingly interprets this completely in the wrong way. And she doesn't think, oh, she's talking God Emperor. Mm. She thinks, oh, she's talking about a higher power that will bring retribution to the God Emperor. We all believe right. in something bigger than ourselves. You know, Siona sort of takes it to the 10th degree and starts talking about belief and how it holds this rebellion together. And <laughs> right, blah, blah, right. Blah, you know, it, it like sort of totally flies over her head that Nayla could just be talking about the guy everyone calls the God Emperor. <laughs> right. Now, in the moment, the chapter ends when Siona shows Nayla the discovery that her and Topri were talking about. There is a flower in the journals that we stole and a poem along with that flower about Ganima on the day of her death. And Siona is stoked about this because yeah. it reveals one big thing. Quote, our god emperor is revealed as a sentimentalist. That is a weakness I had not expected. End quote. He is capable of love, right? Woo! Which, okay, a weakness? Jesus, Siona. Yeah. You, you have some trauma Brutal. that we need Jesus to work Slytherin. through. Jesus Slytherin. <laughs> Yo, facts. She's a Gemini. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. I will also say, God damn, that poem is beautiful. It like, is, yeah. Just in Leto's voice, this poem moved by grief over Ganima's death. Oh, yeah. heartbreaking. So mind. much better than Fierce the Mind Killer. <laughs> <laughs> add it to the list. Add it to the list of things that are way better than that fucking yeah. overused quote. Yeah. Add it. Consider it added. <laughs> cool. Good. And that's where we end chapter three. And our reading for today's episode. Indeed. What an introduction to this book. I already <laughs> have a million and one questions. Yeah. 
we had a press conference. We had 12% <laughs> of the characters we've met die. We had a wolf fight. A human bite to the neck of a wolf. Oh, yeah. great. <laughs> so good. 12 out of 10. <laughs> I'm stoked. Can't wait to dive deeper into this book. Indeed. But for now, let's take a breather. Right. But don't go anywhere, dear listeners, because after the break, we'll be diving deep into a couple of takeaways from today's reading and then chomping down on some spice morsels. Mm. We'll see you in a minute. Welcome back, everybody. We hope you enjoyed your break. Let's do it. Let's talk about our takeaways from today's reading. And to start off, this, this is a good one. When the fuck is this book taking place? <laughs> when are we? You know, every great, great story, question. right? Who, what, when? Well, what is the when, please? And genuinely, like one of the most shocking pieces of the experience of reading God Emperor of Dune, for me, every time I read it, is realizing that just this fucking whole anime time <laughs> skip has happened, right? Like between Dune and Dune Messiah, it was like 12 years. And then between Messiah and Children was like nine years. Nine, yeah. Nine years. And then Children to God Emperor, they're like thousands of years. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> and every character you've known, every character that you've gotten to know, they're all gone. Except for Leto. And then we've got these new characters that half of them are dead. <laughs> Welcome yeah. to this new book. It's shocking. So we wanted to take some time, considering this is our first episode of the God Emperor Book Club, Let's take some time. Let's orient ourselves. Let's gather the clues we're given and have an idea maybe of where in the timeline we are that we've learned from these opening chapters. For sure. And to start off, the very beginning of this book is utterly confusing, right? We start <laughs> yeah. off at this press conference. The prologue makes no sense when we are where we are, how we are. Right. Well, I'm tired. That's how we are. <laughs> and so digging deeper yeah. into some of the language in the prologue, we can make some educated guesses to maybe answer some of those timeline questions. It's pretty clear that the prologue happens at some point much later than the Siona D-Wolf Ocean's Eleven heist from chapter right. one. Yes. The two volumes that she stole are the ancient historical text, the stolen journals that yeah. Hadi Benoto is referencing. Right? That Hadi is like, cipher. we all know this thing, this ancient right. thing. We all know that. That's what she stole. Yeah. Right. So we can assume those two events happened very far apart on the timeline. Right. Hadi says, quote, As you all know, the stolen journals were deciphered by the Spacing Guild, and the method of the Guild Key was employed to translate these newly discovered volumes. End quote. Right. And that lines up perfectly with what we know, because then in Chapter 3, when Nela is writing her encrypted message, she warns Leto that Siona is planning to give copies of these stolen journals two people like the Bene Gesserit and the Guild right. to get their help in translating them and to get their buy-in on this rebellion against right. Leto. So that lines up for us. Clearly, the events of chapters one, two, and three happened far before the prologue. <laughs> yeah. Now, it's also clear to us that this prologue takes place after Leto II's reign. Right. And after some unknown event that Hadi references called the scattering, we know basically nothing about what that could be. And the reason for that is because Hadi keeps referencing ancient technology. He keeps calling everything ancient, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he also notably says that where this discovery was made on Arrakis 
was inside what he believes to be the very first Ixian globe. Mm, quote, the no room from which all such devices evolved, end quote. And what does that mean? Who's uh, to say? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. We don't even know what the fuck he's talking about here. Right. Which clues us in that this is long after Leto's reign and long after something called a Nixian globe has been invented and long after Siona stole the stolen journals and the guild translated them. Right. So in summary, the prologue takes place anywhere from a few centuries <laughs> to potentially a thousand years or more after the events of this book. Which <laughs> is wild. Again. Yeah. Frank, you can just start the book. You can just <laughs> once upon a once time. Once upon a time, Frank. Has no has he not read any other books? Anyway. So cool. We know then that the prologue is a different time frame. And these like excerpts of Hadi and the poet, these are things that are happening way further in the future. Yep. But where is Siona? Like where on the timeline is Siona and Leto too? Well, in Hadi Bonotto's translation of Leto chapter thing, Leto 2 fills us in more of the sort of timeline as we're currently existing on it. And we, we are over 3,000 oh years God. after his ascension to the throne, the imperial throne, at the end of Children of Dune. Jesus. Over That's a time skip, 3,000 years have passed <laughs> since the last book. And wow. It seems, I mean, we don't know for sure yet. We're learning things bits and pieces at a time. But it certainly seems as though everything he told Ganima and Faradin at the end of Children of Dune, this is what I'm going to do. This is what my rule's going to look like. People are going to remember. They're going right. to, in their bones, they're not going to wish for another tyrant. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Apparently like, all here that- Here are the lotto numbers. Here are the <laughs> not for tomorrow, but for 3,400 years from now. Yeah, hold on to those. Because when you die, it'll just be depressing that you'll know that great. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, some real Dr. Manhattan energy here. Totally. And it does seem that everything he said was going to happen has happened. You know, thousands mm -hmm. of years of rule, the death of the worms, the transformation of Arrakis, right? Yeah. And even what had upset Paul when they were having that kind of father-son talk on the top of the dune. And Paul's like, stagnation. Are you really going to do that? And Leto's like, yeah, turns out he's not all talk. Because <laughs> here we are 3,000 years later. It's been stagnation, which right. is wild. Human civilization, his multi-galactic civilization, as it's put at some point, is living under Leto's forced peace for thousands of years. And we'll talk more wild. about that Hadi Bonotto translation in a moment. But first, we should kind of address this question of, <laughs> what happened to all of the characters right. that we spent like 3,000 pages getting to know and love? Yeah. We never got a where are they now at the end of the book, you know? Terrible. I expect it's at the sad. beginning of a new anime season to get a recap, like follow-up supercut, yeah. but no. <laughs> I know. There's always that recap episode, that filler episode. We don't get it here. No. <laughs> where the character's like, oh man, and you remember when we did this together? And then it's like, Fuck, this is all flashbacks. This sucks, Skip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Next episode. Next episode. So the short and sort of boring answer to that question, of course, is all of those characters that we came to know in books one, two, and three lived out the rest of their lives and then died. 
Yeah. Guys, we're 3,000 fucking years later. <laughs> yeah. They're all dead. Yeah. <laughs> Except for Duncan, I guess. <laughs> Except for Duncan. Now, obviously, their legacies still live on, right? Like, we get very clear evidence of that in the Cult of Alia from Chapter 2 today, or the references within the Cult of Alia to the mother, Lady Jessica. So their legacies still live on, surprisingly, thousands of years later. Right. So, again, they're not forgotten. They're right, just right. not around because they're human beings and they're dead by now. <laughs> yeah. But luckily, we got something called the Dune Encyclopedia, <laughs> folks. Ever fucking heard of it? It's great. <laughs> and this motherfucker goes the extra mile. The encyclopedia is like, oh, you're wondering what happened to these folks? I got some deets for you. I have that filler episode that you're desperate to skip. <laughs> so we do get some insight into how these characters might have lived out the rest of their lives, thanks to the encyclopedia. Mm. And we wanted to share just a couple of highlights for some of our faves and what happened to them post Children of Dune. Yeah. Well, first up, we've got Princess Irulan Carino. Hey. Lover. Great. She died a virgin. Mm. <laughs> It's really tough. Okay. I was hoping she would get what she wanted. Maybe she did. Maybe she was happy. She was happy and yeah. celibate. But she lived out the rest of her life as a writer and a historian. We've read some of her histories in the right. first book. That makes sense. As like excerpts. And she died on Wallach 9, one of the Benny Gesserit home worlds. They have schools there, the Benny Gesserit school. And she died in the year 10,248 A.G., Rest in peace, Rest the in Virgin peace. Princess Irulan Karina. Indeed. Now, little is known about what Lady Jessica was up to after Children of Dune, except that she returned to Kaladin at some point. And her legacy runs deep. She inspired generations of worshippers right. as the mother of Muad'Dib, as Lady Jessica, the legendary Benny Jesuit. But beyond that, we have... Basically, no details about the rest of her life. It's true. Gurney Halleck, famed lover of women, finder hey. of the mood, as he's yeah. sometimes called, actually served Leto II until his death in 10,226 AG. Mm -hmm. And he was given upon his death, a grand funeral ceremony. I wouldn't want it any other way. Deserves yes. the fucking biggest parade. He's Gurney Halleck. Are you kidding Indeed. me? I hope there was a parade on Kamat in his name is what Hell I really hope. yes. <laughs> he deserves yeah. it. A real sad parade because they're like, fuck, we lost our biggest client. <laughs> we lost our biggest client. <laughs> we didn't even charge him because he gives us such a good time. And he plays Balasat too? Are you right. kidding me? He's just me? an influencer. He's a Gamont influencer. <laughs> he's a he's basically a teacher, honestly. He, <laughs> he, he comes in as a, as a coach, a star, a guest starring coach. Well, the funeral procession was presided over by Leto himself. God wow. Emperor Leto himself. Big deal. Quote, the water counters representing his water were given to Leto too, who is believed to have kept them among his possessions throughout his long life. And oh, wow. Beautiful. So thousands of years later, Leto still got those water counters somewhere. Also, I think it's beautiful that Gurney Halleck was rendered for his water, like a Fremen funeral rite was yeah. given for Gurney Halleck. He lived among the smugglers. He became a man of Arrakis. But yeah. he had life before. He was from Chusik. He spent time on Caladan. There's lots of different ways that he could have had a funeral right. 
but for him to have been given this Fremen honor, this Fremen funeral. Really totally. beautiful, beautiful stuff. I agree. Now, as far as Faradin Carino goes, he excelled in his new role as the royal scribe. Indeed. And actually ended up having a very beautiful relationship as a friend and then later a lover and then eventually a parent alongside Ganema. Yeah. Until his eventual death in 10,419 AG. And we're told from the encyclopedia that the two actually had and raised 10 children together. Wow. Pretty, pretty good. That's quite a few, quite a few kiddos. Well, finally, we have Ganema herself, Ganema Atreides. And Ganema became a writer and historian alongside her partner, Faradin. Appropriate. You're the sister of the god emperor. You're like, oh, I'm going to write about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's some things only you know and you should write down. <laughs> Indeed. I imagine she did yeah. some book tours. You know, she did some like behind the worm, you know, and, and stuff like that. Right. And they, she and Faradin, quote, became patrons of the Imperium's leading poets, musicians, dramatists, and artists establishing a renaissance in culture for Leto's empire. End quote. Hell yeah. Fucking awesome. Ganema. Yes. Hell yes. Invest in the arts, everyone. That's not even a Dune thing. That's just a general call to action. Yeah. <laughs> Support artists, I say, with my art degree. It worked out fine. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Ganema passed away in the year 10,516 AG. That's right. It sounds old. She lived a long time. Jesus. A long time. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about it in a future episode, but the... Encyclopedia entry talks about how both Faradin and Ganema extend their lifespans using the illegal Benny Gesserit technique. Is that true? Yep. Oh, because Leto was like, I don't want you to go use the technique. I'll allow it. She's like, fucking all right. Sure. Yeah. I'll hang um, out. <laughs> we'll talk about it. It's really sad because she sort of voluntarily goes because she's just very tired eventually and yeah, doesn't have a place in the universe anymore after all that time. I get it. I'm 32. <laughs> <laughs> i know that's how i feel i'm approaching 30 and i'm like damn i'm tired man what's my place it's the threshold dude you start to see the patterns of life and you're like oh uh, everything's so boring <laughs> so boring another fucking rebel another electric bill god damn it <laughs> another cult oh, jesus i it know really is 2023 <laughs> I accidentally joined the last one now i've done it again <laughs> it's called gom jamar is the newest <laughs> cult all right, so that's takeaway one for us, just establishing the timeline, sort of orienting ourselves on where we are, when we are, and getting an update on where some of our favorite characters ended up. Indeed. For the most part, it seems like most of them ended happy, which makes me happy. Yeah, it's great. It's nice to see they got that. For sure. So for our second takeaway today, let's go back to that translation in chapter one, Hadi Panito's translation, because... There is so much to unpack here <laughs> Yeah, about Leto II, about the Imperium, about what happened over the course of these 3,000 years. We get some key details, and we get to connect some dots from just this couple of pages. And we were joking earlier about a recap anime episode. This translation also serves as a bit of a refresher for the reader on key details in the Dune Saga and some big themes that this book is going to explore. So there's a lot to unpack here in what Leto wrote in this entry in his journal. It's true. Which starts with his lineage, right? He kind of outlines, yeah. this is who I am 
it, which is like pretty typical for historical documents. You might say, this is who I am. This is who taught me. This is who my parents are, that sort of thing. So totally. very biography like, and he is basically giving us a sense then of kind of when this journal was written, right? We learned some fun details we didn't know before, which is cool. His maternal grandmother, right? This would be Chani's mother, was a Fremen herbalist named Farula, which is very cool. Cool. That's yeah. neat. We, you know, we knew that Chani was the daughter of Liet Kynes, but we didn't know Chani's mother's name. So that's very neat. Right. Obviously, I guess this would be in Villeneuve's universe. This would be her father, Farula. Yeah. And we also learned that Duke Leto was a, quote, descendant of the House of Atreus and tracing his ancestry directly back to the Greek original, end quote. Wow. Which I know one of our morsels today is a little bit about that, right? Yeah, for sure. We'll touch on that a little later, but it's cool. I mean, like, I trust Leto more than Ancestry.com, you know? Like, <laughs> if anyone's going to tell you if you're connected to the House of Atreus back on Terra, recall, you know, like we're yeah. talking this is 10,000 <laughs> years in the future, it's going to be Leto too. So it's cool to have Leto officially confirm that for everyone. He also, did you catch the point where he was looking at that old Fremen sitting on the bench? And he was like, mm -hmm. I can tell that he's like a five generation descendant, uh, like oh, he's related to Stilgar. Great, I can tell yeah. from a distance. Bro's out here 23 and meeing people with his nose. <laughs> he's like, yep. He's like, yeah, he's like, you're 93 Northwestern, you know, whatever. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Get on Identify that Identify my heritage with your nose. <laughs> yeah. Send someone to smell me and just figure yeah. it out. I don't have time to send you a sample. <laughs> so continuing with this journal, Leto then moves on to the topic of the golden path, the extremely important topic of the golden path. And he shares with us some critical qualities of its nature, or at least the way that he thinks about it. He outright, for maybe the first fucking time in this whole yeah. series, just defines the golden path for us. And he says the golden path is, quote, the survival of humankind, nothing more nor less. We who have prescience, we who know the pitfalls in our human futures, this has always been our responsibility. Survival. Hard to End argue quote. with that. <laughs> it's hard to be right. anti-golden path you're like oh the survival of human that's mm. wow that's a big yeah. deal i'm game i'm in yeah i'm in <laughs> team leto i guess suddenly <laughs> yeah here's the catch though mm. leto's job as the arbiter of the golden path as the most powerful prescient being ever to live is to make sure humanity is on this path and stays on this path no matter how many bad Yelp reviews they give him, whatever <laughs> yeah. it takes, yeah. we have to stay on this path. Whatever cult I have to squash, whatever atrocity I have to commit to make sure in the long run, humanity survives. Because right. as I can see in my visions, we're hurtling towards extinction. Like Moneo comes into the library and he's just, Leto is manually dog-earing every page of every book. And Moneo's like, what the fuck are you doing, Leto? And Leto's like, Golden Path, you wouldn't understand. It's what My it takes. God. That's criminal. Truly Holy monstrous. Shit. I was thinking of like murders and all sorts. I'm like, no, this might be worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Books are sacred. Okay, so continuing with Leto's journals. Right. Let's revisit the topic of his death. We briefly touched on this earlier, but we get some more details here. As we know, he has told Duncan time and time again he's not going to use his prescience to see how he dies. Quote, I know the way it must come, but I do not know the moment or the other players. This is the one thing I cannot know. 
end quote. Right. Really interesting. Because that almost implies that it's not a choice he's making. Like, yeah. if he looks at it, it will fuck things up. And if the rule, if everything he's doing is to keep everything on the golden path, we could almost then deduce that if he examines too closely his moment of death, if he looks at it, it could actually like derail the golden path. Exactly. Entirely. Yeah. So he has to resist the urge. I mean, he's human or was human, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And he has to resist the urge to be like, I could literally look at the moment I die, you know, and do everything in my power to prevent it or whatever. That's like a animalistic survival urge to want to do that. But I think your interpretation is spot on that if he does, it'll actually derail the golden path and the ultimate goal. The whole reason he's doing any of this is to stay on the golden path. Yeah. This also clues us in a little bit on how he's using prescience. We talked a lot about this back in Children of Dune because Leto uses prescience unlike any other Kwisatz Haderach or prescient being in history. Right. Everyone else was just looking at that damn future and obsessed with it. That's yeah. what brought down Paul Atreides himself. He just kind of checks in. He blinks into the future, checks that everyone's still good, that we're Gucci and we're on the golden path, and then he shuts it off. Quote, I only know whether the golden path continues or ends. As I cause these words to be recorded, the golden path continues. And for that, at least, I am content. End quote. Yeah, it starts to make sense why he needed a basically invincible worm body that would last forever. Because yeah. if he's not able to like watch tomorrow, watch the day after, what make sure that this Duncan shows up with a laser gun. And he's like, I anticipated this happening, but I had to like smell his pheromones and watch his body language to see that it was going to happen, not seeing it as a vision, right? So he is ultimately powerful, but he's also showing ultimate restraint in that power. Yeah, totally. And I, I love that he is not using this power to just like know how it all ends. Right. There is still room for him to be surprised. He's surprised by the cult of Alia in today's reading. He's surprised by Duncan fucking pulling a gun on him. <laughs> yeah. He didn't know for sure that those things would happen, right? He always knows things could happen, right? He's prescient enough to know the possibilities. But which route things go, he's not always sure about. The only things he is sure about are the ones required to stay on the golden path because those are the things he's tampering with right. to make sure we're, we're still on track. Yeah. So all of that, yes. And then he updates us in this little chapter about the current status of Spice Melange. Mm. And this is wild to me. This this honestly <laughs> was like one of the most shocking details that he pointed yeah. out because everything's different now. Like we were in Children of Dune, Spice was in everything. Everyone's eating spice. Everyone's old. Everyone's getting to be 200, 300 years old. No problem. Meanwhile, here we are in God Emperor of Dune and there's no desert on Arrakis left other than Leto has his own little private desert, his Sarir, right? Yeah. And this means there are no more sandworms. Yeah. No more sandworms, no more spice harvesting, no more new spice crops, right? And Leto has a massive horde. He has a giant horde of spice somewhere. And then the guild and the Bene Gesserit also do have some spice. But these are like, the only remaining amounts of spice in the universe. Like maybe there are like small collections here and there, but it's really just no new spices being introduced 
and it's really these like final three players that have any and then yep. maybe there's a Harkonnen one hidden somewhere blah 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 right and most people now don't have any access to spice so their lifespans have reverted over the last wow. 3,000 years no longer are people living to be 200 300 years old we find out that lifespans have fallen back to quote no more than a hundred years or so end quote, Dang. which is fucking crazy if you think about it like obviously we are going to learn more about what has changed in three thousand years but if you think about the fact that actually people right now in god emperor of dune are living a third as long as people in children of dune mm -hmm. is crazy that's an insane difference and that also then begins to justify if any of this is documented in history books this begins to justify rebelling against leto too he has stolen two-thirds of every person's life through a decision yeah. that he's made yeah which is incalculable right yeah Granted, and on the scale of human history lifespan is one of the most concrete measurements of human advancement right yes like absolutely. as humans evolve and technology evolves and medicine evolves the way we know things are getting better is when people are living healthier <laughs> yeah. lives longer. Yeah. And suddenly, thanks to Wormy Boy, people are living a third as long as they used to. That it's, number suddenly probably drops for the first time in human history. It's like the worst plague you could imagine. Or like the mm. worst, you're right. It's like penicillin increased the average lifespan of humans. Yep. Leto 2 decreased it <laughs> to a third. Wild. That's insane. Insane. Granted, we know from this chapter that it's in pursuit of the golden path. It's necessary. I will point out that if stagnation is death, iteration becomes important. And mm -hmm. the benefit of a shorter lifespan is faster evolution and faster adaptation, right? Things that live a really long time don't have as much ability to react to environmental changes, right? And they don't have the ability to react to things versus fruit flies, <laughs> can like noticeably evolve in the matter of like just a few years because they're having so many generations over over time so yeah. it is interesting to think about that element of it too anyway very leto god emperor of you to compare humans <laughs> to flies listen <laughs> i just draw comparisons where it feels right to draw comparisons i've seen humans swarm on black friday like fruit mm. flies mm -hmm. to a discarded mm -hmm. ripe banana tearing across one another just to get their little goopy hands and their little goopy toys yeah. or whatever. Disgusting. Yeah. Dis vile. Glad. Glad he shortened all of our lives. <laughs> we don't deserve long life. <laughs> wow. What just, a God Emperor apologist over here. Damn. God Emperor apologist. He's a golden pather. He's a golden pather. A golden pather. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? I put on this shirt and I was just kind yeah. of feeling very golden pathy. Yeah. I was like, oh. Hashtag, have you been golden pilled yet? <laughs> yeah. You get the red pill, blue pill, and the golden pill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good. <laughs> well, okay. So anyway, people living a lot shorter. All of that to say. Right. If yep. you do want spice, though, if you do want some of that sweet, sweet spice, you can get some from Leto because he's got a collection somewhere. No one knows where. You can get some from him and he will give you spice as a reward for good behavior and a punishment for bad behavior. He's using it as a means of control and incentivization 
for yeah. certain types of behavior and certain types yeah. of qualities. Through this complete control of spice, basically Leto's autocratic and religious rule has enforced this piece for thousands of years. Like if you're wondering how did he do it, this is there how he did it, right? Quote, it is an enforced tranquility which humankind knew only for the briefest periods before my ascendancy, end quote. There you go. He's like, wow. look at the ends that I've achieved. Right. I did it. We're at peace. <laughs> You're welcome. And I would imagine <laughs> it's a certain type of peace, you know? Like, I imagine there's probably a lot of freedoms that don't exist, right? Like, right. it's a certain type of enforced peace that Leto wants. Yeah. You either conform or you die. You know, you're part of this golden path or you're not. Yeah. And sometimes you find a ripe banana and that's like super sweet. And you, <laughs> oh, fuck. Wait, no, that's the fruit flies again. Fuck. Okay. Yeah. Humans. Right. Humans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, continuing in this translation, the journal entry also updates us on Leto's physique. We talked about this a bit earlier as <laughs> yeah. well, but here we get a pretty explicit description. Leto is no longer the nine-year-old Fremen boy we knew in Children of Dune. He's big. He's big Here's man. what he writes. Yeah. Quote, My body is about seven meters long and somewhat more than two meters in diameter, ribbed for most of its length, with my Atreides face positioned man height at one end. The arms and hands, still quite recognizable as human, just below. My legs and feet? Well, they are mostly atrophied. Just flippers, really. And they have wandered back along my body. The whole of me weighs approximately five old tons. End quote. Okay, two things. First of all, seven meters long. I'm bad at lengths. 22 feet, 23 feet almost. Okay. That's long. As, wow. That's fucking long. <laughs> that's a yeah. big, wormy body. Also, second thing, his flippers wandered back his body is probably the most upsetting verb that Frank could yeah. have used. Ugh. The idea of his little flippers just kind of slowly over the years creeping back. Stop. Gross. That's Gross. so weird. Uh, it's, it's a description. And depending on the copy of the book you have, there are some art depictions yeah. of Leto to the Wormy Boy. They're truly incredible, but they're also <laughs> <Kinda awful>. all <laughs> like universally gross in a way. You know, you're like, oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. Like that, that shouldn't exist. And obviously that's intentional. Like Leto is physically grotesque here on purpose. And the way he moves around all, what is it? 22, 23 feet of that is the Royal cart that right. we see him use back in chapter two. He doesn't wiggle or worm around everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Instead, he uses this Ixian Royal cart that they've made him that sort of floats around. It's yeah. a hoverboard. It's got suspensors. He, he's like yeah. a teenager on a hoverboard. <laughs> It also has wheels. <laughs> it has wheels in case he needs to use them, but it, yeah, right, it's right. mostly powered on Holtzman suspensor. An all-transport vehicle. I love it. Four-wheel drive. <laughs> yeah. It's got cup holders, <laughs> Bluetooth, AC, yeah. really good AC. Hell yeah. Actually has warmers on the board, which is pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Apple CarPlay, all of it. I don't know why. I always picture the cart as being like six feet by eight feet, you know? Like, I just picture the cart being about that size. Completely mm -hmm. ignoring the fact that he is 23 feet long. This thing has <laughs> got to be so fucking big. Yeah. The cart's probably enormous. Yeah. I don't know why. I, this is literally the first moment that I'm realizing the cart has to be big enough to hold him, <laughs> which is yeah, so stupid. Yeah. But well, he's a big boy. He's a very large boy. Again, peak male physique. 
Right, right. We, we all, all aim to be 22 feet long keep with track, flippers. Keep track of your macros and your legs will become <laughs> flippers. <laughs> That's what they mean by leg day. That's how they don't skip leg day. Otherwise, your legs will stay, ew, leg shaped? Gross. Ew. Flippers, ew. ideal get, legs. Get those bitches to atrophy. <laughs> atrophy those legs as quickly as possible. That's what I'm doing right now. That's why I got this nice chair. <laughs> So yes, incredible update and just an insane visual image that's hard to keep in mind. I encourage you to though. Like keep in mind yeah. throughout this book <laughs> what Leto looks like. Right. And there's also some really fantastic fan art out there, which I've seen. Totally. Well, Leto wraps up his thoughts and this chapter with a few surprising revelations about Siona Atreides, about mm. this little romp through the woods. So first of all, what she stole were two printed volumes of his journals. So as we mentioned in the previous takeaway, the two things that they stole, and they're like, we don't know what this is. It's kind of heavy, but it's got to be important because it was stowed away here, is the stolen journals that is mentioned in the first prologue, which is very good. Now, second, he was watching their escape. He was like watching on Ixian Amazing. devices, just like, oh, look, the like straggler got eaten by wolves. Okay, cool. Wow, that guy's using a wolf as a flail. That's pretty good. Good job, dude. That's pretty sweet. And oh, she got away, right? Yeah. And he points out like, oh, Siona's very important to me, but would I have let her die? Yes, absolutely. I would have yeah. let her die if she fucked up and the wolves closed in. Totally, I would have let her die. And it sounds to me very like Amtal role. Right? It sounds to me very like Amtal going back to Paul being tested by Jameis and then again by Fade and, and all these situations. Right. If she died, then she's not the person he needs her to be. Exactly. Basically. Her true nature will be revealed by her moment of breaking or very nearly breaking, right? Completely. And we get this like insanely cold, <laughs> considering she's very important to him. This insanely cold quote, <laughs> quote, death is a very personal thing. I will seldom interfere with it. Never in the case of someone who must be tested as Siona requires. I could let her die at any stage. After all, hey, I could bring up a new candidate in very little time as I measure time. End quote. Holy <laughs> shit. I, I added in a little <laughs> hey just... there, but it's it's wild. He's like... He's like, she's so important to me. Would I let her die? Yeah, absolutely. I could replace her like that. I could grow yeah. a new Siona. No problem. Not right. literally, not Gola style, but like I could raise a replacement. Yeah. It's not an issue. Yeah, she's clearly part of his breeding program. He mentions in today's reading mm -hmm. how he's taken over the Benny Gesserit breeding program and they're pissed about it. Yeah. And Siona is clearly part of that process. Faradin and Ganima were the origin point and their 10 kids then became part of the breeding program that Leto has kept up for the last 3,000 years. Right. Great point. But yeah, he's kind of like, whatever. What's another like five years to me? Yeah. I can just have another Siona. He clearly wants her to succeed. I at least get that energy from these energies. He's rooting for her. Yeah. But if she fails, he's not going to be heartbroken about it. We also don't know because she has her own thing. And even in his chapter, he wonders a little bit like, wow, I didn't really foresee this plan. But that's interesting of her to have done that. Yeah. We also get a sense that like, 
he made these journals kind of to be stolen because <laughs> he didn't need to print them out. They were on Redulian crystal sheets, right, right? Right. Yeah. These were like copies he made and printed out <laughs> and like conveniently left <laughs> near the blueprint, the you know? Citadel plans. <laughs> Oops. You know, like. Yeah. 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 It's very interesting. And then he uses this word candidate for Siena. He says, oh, I could raise up a new candidate. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what his plans are for Siena. But it's interesting because from Siona's chapter, you might think it's this her versus Leto. They're dueling it out. She and the rebels versus Leto. But yeah. unbeknownst to her, she is part of some bigger plan. And we don't right. know what that is. Right. But we're getting a sense that it does exist. Doesn't mean yeah. he'll save her. <laughs> he will watch her get eaten by wolves. He'll be like, totally. Dang. Totally. Another right. 15 years. Uh, what an incredible. And this is like two pages. We just spent like. 30 minutes talking about what is only two pages <laughs> yeah. in Leto's journal. And uh, it's so juicy. It's so juicy. I just rereading this and scripting for our episode today, I was sort of awed by what Hadi Benoto and the other historians might be feeling. Yeah. Like, just imagine that you dig up these journals, which are verifiably the actual journals of such a historic figure like Leto. <laughs> yeah. Like this comparison isn't even apt because Leto is at least 12 times cooler than Jesus. But just imagine <laughs> if like today someone dug up Jesus's actual journal yeah. with Verifiably his personal thoughts. Exactly his words. Yeah. Like that would rock human society to its core. Thousands of books written by him. It would be incredible. So yeah. like that is what Hadi Benoto is experiencing. And in a way, what we all are experiencing when we read these little excerpts from Leto's journal. Yeah. It's wild. I love it so much. There's so much to say about that. And we will continue talking about them. There were a couple of excerpts that we did not talk about today. Some of them are kind of just in line with what happened in the chapter. But moving forward, I think it'll be good to be actively engaged with like, what is the excerpt? What's the point of the excerpt? And then how does it relate to what we just read in the chapter? For sure. Yeah. Frank puts a lot of work into that relationship. Damn, he's a good writer. Damn, it's almost like he's kind of got he's got something. He should he should <laughs> consider writing books. Okay, well, hey, we're going to talk about our spice morsels. I can I can smell them. They're almost ready to chomp into. Yeah. Mm, that vitamin D. That vi- <laughs> vitamin D wolf. <laughs> but we're going to take a quick break. So, stick around. When we're back, we're going to wrap up this episode with our spice morsels. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, folks. Let's round out today's episode by chomping down on our spice morsels today. Mm. Let's do it. We have two delicious spice morsels for y'all. Starting with our first one, the curse of House Atreus. So in today's reading, Leto II confirms for us something that Ganema actually claimed all the way back in Children of Dune. Right. Back in that book, Ganema said, quote, we Atreides go back to Agamemnon and we know what's in our blood, end quote. And in today's reading, Leto, smell to those pheromones, Ancestry.com, <laughs> confirmed that Duke Leto can trace his ancestry all the way back to the house of Atreides. Now, of course... I did a little bit of research. I'm a sucker for some Greek myth anyway. (laughs) Yeah. And I found out some fun things about the house of Atreus. Hmm. So first off, Agamemnon in Greek legend was the king of Mycenae. 
and he was the son or grandson, depending on the interpretation of the story, of King Atreus. And his brother, Menelaus, was famously married to Helen, who was taken by Paris, a prince of Troy. This kicked off the Trojan War. Brad Pitt was in that one movie. <laughs> Many of us know the story. Right. Now, what you may not know is actually the history of Agamemnon's house. The legends go that the house was actually cursed when one of their ancestors named Tantalus toyed with the gods. He fucked around and found out <laughs> when he tried to feed them at a banquet that he threw for them, his own son. It's just a prank, bro. It's just a prank. Just, <laughs> just I a guess prank. <laughs> he's doing it for the fucking YouTube views, clearly. He did it for the gram. <laughs> Chopped up his son, boiled him, cooked him in a stew, tried <laughs> to feed it to the Olympians. Uh, this spectacularly backfired because they all realized what the fuck he put on the table. And he ended up going to Tartarus, blah, blah, blah. And that's actually where we get the phrase tantalizing from, is he was sent to Tartarus and cursed to always have delicious food and drink just out of reach. Wow. Damn. That's, and that's so sort cool. of the origin of the word tantalizing. Now, after Tantalus fucks up and finds out, <laughs> the rest of his house, his ancestors, his children, the people for generations to come in House Atreus are cursed. Like the history of this house is bloody. It's full of brutal deaths, many of them at the hands of the gods themselves. There's betrayals in the family. There's incestuous rape. There's exile. There's war. There's revenge. All of it. Like every Greek tragedy thing you can imagine happens to House Atreus over the next couple of generations. And one of my favorite stories is actually retold in a book I recently read called Electra by mm -hmm. Jennifer Saint, where Agamemnon kills his uncle to take back the throne of Mycenae. And then he goes off to Troy for 10 years to go fight in that. He comes back and is killed by his wife, Clytemnestra, <laughs> oh, who no. then is later killed by her daughter, Electra, and her son, Orestes, who have been plotting against her because they loved Agamemnon. They're like, why'd you kill her? So we're going to kill our mom. That is just one small example of like the twisted web of bloodshed that constantly happens in the house of Atreus. Holy hell. Jeez. I also, if you're interested, Electra is great. I also highly recommend The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. One of my favorite books I read last year, which is about the Trojan war side of things. So mm. Electra follows the women who stayed at home while the men went off to fight the war. The Song of Achilles follows namely Achilles and Patroclus as they fight the war. Really interesting stuff if you're into Greek myth. Really great cool. books. Awesome. All of that to say, basically, <laughs> is that I love this Greek connection in the Dune saga because so many of the books to me read like these ancient Greek tragedies. Yeah. Like true. if you sort of zoom out and take a look at the books we've covered so far. In book one, we get the epic rise of our hero who successfully takes the throne at the end, but is doomed by the visions of the Oracle to a dark future. Right. In the second book, he deals with the consequences of his actions, and ultimately it ends with the death of his lover and his own disappearance into the desert sands. And then the third book perhaps has the most Greek tragedy ending of all, <laughs> yeah. where we see a mother, Lady Jessica, witness her son being murdered by a mob then her daughter leaping from a window and her superpowered weirdo grandson taking the throne after everything she's plotted, it all falls apart in front of her. 
and her grandson takes the throne. Yeah. Very Greek tragedy in a large sense. And so I like that there is sort of like an internal lore Greek connection as well with House Atreides. Also, all following the common thread of like fate and agency and can you defy this kind of higher order could yep. be called the gods, could be called just like objective reality, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, it's a great point. Frank definitely <laughs> pulled some from that ancient storytelling tradition. For sure. So that's Morsel 1 today. A little Greek mythology mm. for y'all about the curse of House Atreus. Delicious. Isn't some falafel? I think I could some falafel <laughs> in that, <laughs> that morsel. Delicious. Yeah. Really, really good. Well, our second morsel is journal flavored. Mm. <laughs> We're talking about Leto's journals. And so in Leto's first chapter, he tells us how he writes these journals, right? And the journals that are stolen. Quote, these very words you are reading were printed by an Ixian device, a dick to tell, it is called. If I cast my thoughts in a particular mode, the dick to tell is activated. I merely think in this mode, and the words are printed for me on Redulian crystal sheets, only one molecule thick. Oh my god. <laughs> End quote. So these Redulian crystal sheets, clearly a very portable means of carrying information. Mm-hmm. Hadi Bonotto tells us that just one of them contains, quote, more than 40 ordinary volumes, end quote, worth of information in literally microscopic font. So like five, five or six. <laughs> <laughs> in Microsoft Word, yeah. Yeah, yeah Microsoft Word. Illegible, just impossible. To read. You have to magnify it a bunch to see it, right? especially as you get older. It's weird. The older you get, yeah. you're like 11. Uh, it's a little, uh, uh. can we go to 14, 14, 11? <laughs> And while like Frank's universe doesn't rely on these fun technological things existing, they don't actually super matter. It is fun world building. So we wanted to take a moment and talk about these journals. Mm -hmm. right? And the Dune Encyclopedia, as always, fucking delivers Hell yes. some spectacular information about these journals. Because we get this quote about the monumental collection of journals. But so far in the book, we haven't gotten any sense of how many there are. And there are many. There are so many. So, first of all, the journals found at Dar es Balat total 2,126 volumes. Oh my God. 2,126 volumes. At five point font. At five point font. And you might wonder, yeah, well, how many pages? Are we talking like two, three pages? Are we talking like six, seven pages? Each volume is 1,000 sheets. <laughs> That's longer than Dune by Frank <laughs> Herbert. <laughs> That's, that is every one of the 2,126 volumes is a thousand pages of this four point font size <laughs> Redulian crystal. And they actually measure, so they're very thin, right? He says they're a molecule thick. Yeah. They are 50 by 30 centimeters though which in inches is 12 by 20 inches. So much bigger than I expected. They're a <laughs> foot wide. Yeah. And almost two feet tall. That's a lot of surface area. That's a lot of, these are these are posters. There's thousand page posters. But hey, you might wonder then, okay, you're like, so it's like cute, they're posters, okay. The volumes are bound in Redulian based hardboard 
which of course I'm like, okay, is this like school science fair? You put your Redulian based hardboard <laughs> science poster up. Well, the full volumes are only 1.5 centimeters thick. Wow. That's half an inch. That's like half an inch thick, despite the fact that they are a thousand pages. So to paint a full picture, that means that every one of these 2,126 is a foot by two feet big, half an inch thick, has a thousand pages, every page of which contains enough characters to fill 40 normal volumes. Of Incredible. And wow. Steve Jobs rolling in his grave. Thinnest <laughs> MacBook, thinnest laptop, my ass. Yeah. Get it down to half an inch. And then I'll be impressed. All right. You're fucking thick ass computers. <laughs> <laughs> and with a CK, not even two C's. Thick derogatory, not a thick like complimentary. So yes, fascinating stuff. Just a monumental amount of information. Yeah. And the last thing that we kind of wanted to point out is he's able to write this sheer amount of stuff because he's not writing it. He's doing thought to text. Right? Yeah. Love it. So we see in the Duncan chapter how bored he is by just so much. Duncan's like, hey, so there's this cult. About... And for Leto, it's like, wah, 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 wah. He's just like, <laughs> God, this guy's so fucking boring. He could literally at that moment start writing a new thing. And it's the speed at which he thinks can become text, right? Personally, as we go through this book, and the reason I wanted to share this morsel is every time we're in a Leto chapter and we're seeing Leto, I'm going to be thinking about whether or not he's currently journaling. <laughs> like if he's bored, if he's kind of checked out, he's probably writing. He's probably writing a book. Yeah. Which is just interesting. It's just Hilarious. fun. Yeah. I love that. I love that. All right. That does it. We did it. Leo. Yeah. Part one of this journey is done. We've taken the first steps into oh. God Emperor of Dune and wow, what mighty steps they were. Exciting. It's already so fucking weird. <laughs> I'm into yeah, it. It's I can't great. wait. I can't wait to get into the rest of this book. So for the next episode in this series, dear listener, you have some homework. Yeah. Make sure you've read the next three chapters, the final chapter of which ends on the sentence, quote, the worm does not send clumsy messages. Tell him I said that. End quote. All right. <laughs> All right. Sure. You know, <laughs> I send a lot of clumsy messages, but uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. He never has to edit his tweets. No, he does not. So do that reading. <laughs> You've got that homework. <laughs> we did want to take one last second to let you know a couple of ways of supporting the show, supporting what we do here. And the first thing is to check out our Dune merchandise. So if you're listening, we do have merchandise. It's gamjabarshop.com. We've got custom dune themed apparel we've got some art we've got some different little accessories it's all really yeah. cool crafted with walk love. without rhythm socks walk my favorite thing rhythm they're so cute socks they are very cute little sandworms yeah. great yeah. so check that out it's on gamjabarshop.com and you can grab something you want for yourself a little treat for yourself and you can support us all in one move that's right and finally just a reminder that we love to get your messages. So email us, gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts as you read along with us. Send us your questions for inclusion in future episodes. Mm -hmm. Send us cute pictures of your pets. Someone <laughs> sent the most adorable picture of their dog the other day. It really distracted me from what they actually wrote in the email. Yeah. We love it all. So again, gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. 
reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. We do indeed. Just please, larger than five point font. We're both <laughs> getting on the older side of things. Yeah. It's, make the font nice and big for us, please. So fourteen or bigger, please. Just really. <laughs> what fourteen? You just showed your age, Leo. Uh, I, I'm, I'm still old. rocking the. I'm still rocking that ten point font, baby. God damn! Oh man, <laughs> dang. Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic. So help spread the word of Muadib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lord Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path.